0: I started my um, my studies in 97 uh, at the university in a molecular biology program. And um, yeah, after a year, I, I came here for a summer and uh, and uh, yeah, was uh, in an organic lab.
1: <laughs> Is that what you saw yourself doing for the rest of your life?
0: Uh, yeah, it was because I mean, I had already then I had my interest in music. Uh, I had been playing in many different bands. Uh, and and uh, playing my acoustic guitar songs that later became the first album, but I, I had decent grades. I had uh, some topics that were extra interesting to me. Among them was yeah, uh, the smaller molecules uh, and uh, how they interact and create our complex uh, biological machines, <laughs> and that create consciousness and everything else that's so exciting. And uh, so, so, yeah, I, I was really into trying to learn more about the structure and function of these uh, molecules.
1: It almost sounds spiritual in a sense, right? It's almost using science to get to the bottom of some of these bigger questions of consciousness.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, consciousness wasn't really that big back then. It's become bigger and bigger as an interesting topic for me. But back, uh, so to be a bit more honest, how I was thinking back then, it was more about uh, these machineries that uh, un- are underlying everything that 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 are us. So uh, already then I was okay with the thought that we we are biological machines, and uh, and I saw poetry in that, and and it was around that time that biotechnology was really booming, and uh, there were. more and more more beautiful pictures uh, or or drawings of uh, proteins and DNA with these uh, beautiful structures that, that were intriguing to me.
1: Generally, when people think of science and the sciences, they tend to think of it as being almost antithetical to the humanities or antithetical to poetry and some of these romantic ideas. But it sounds like you still had a very romantic relationship with molecules and with molecular biology.
0: Yeah, I I was uh I, I have to say I was drawn to the <laughs> uh aesthetic side of of uh, biochemistry. Was very excited once they started to uh, to show for example the ATP uh, uh synthase uh this transmembrane macromolecule that rotated as a and uh, yeah, and many other uh macromolecules that that looked like uh, little uh, figures from uh, from uh, the car- cartoons
1: when it actually comes time to sit down and study and be a bit more pragmatic about it is it difficult to translate that kind of that aesthetic appreciation into i guess kind of the more you know nitty gritty mathematics that you have to do in order to study sciences
0: yeah so uh, so the way i was uh, thinking about it back then was, uh, yeah, being in awe of the complexity at the same time as I was looking into the smallest details of the DNA replication in herpes viruses, which was very sort of nerdy and it was all about helicases and how they connect to a certain uh, sequence in the viral DNA. And, um, and uh, yeah, with, with the years of... Uh, doing that research, uh, I released my first album and, and then I was able to have a different view on science and, and in general where, so actually maybe a couple of years after my first tours, I, I started uh, revisiting my, my love of science and, uh, and was happy to, to be this spectator instead of, um, of, uh, being involved in the details and, uh, that's when I uh, started reading books about science and philosophy and everything in between and including mathematics uh, so Max Tegmark, a Swedish mathematician, is one of my favorite uh, people to to listen to talking about math- mathematics so yeah there's a with the years I, I guess I've matured and I'm more okay to 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 inspired by different topics and not only try to be good at one thing. Uh,
1: You know, you you mentioned viral transmission, which is obviously something that, unfortunately, we've all been thinking a lot about over the past year and a half. Do you get the sense that um, having studied that and and I guess, you know, continuing in a certain sense to study it over the years that you have perhaps a a unique perspective on the pandemic?
0: Yeah. uh, So, uh, so I, as soon as uh, uh, the pandemic was becoming a fact, and then uh, later world health organization uh, named it a, a proper pandemic <laughs> uh, i uh, i acknowledged that that i, w- I was uh, was definitely not an expert but i did have the the basics in uh, so i could uh, read up on what was happening and so yeah, i felt like a middleman between whoever was uh, an expert and me and my friends so many of my friends would call me up and and ask me questions and uh, Asked me what, what I thought about <laughs> different types of uh, reactions from different societies. <laughs> yeah, so so even now I feel like I'm uh, I didn't have that much to say, but I could uh, convey some of the experts that I was reading up on uh, on Twitter, like Nikolas Kristakis.
1: Sweden is a place that a lot of people have pointed to around the, I guess pre-vaccine the the, the concept of herd immunity. What's your sense of the job that? sweden has done i guess in contrast to other countries i mean i'm, I'm calling you from the u.s so i'm yeah, certainly exactly. i'm certainly not one to speak as far as like doing a, a good job with the pandemic
0: well no no so so yeah it's uh it's super interesting to to try to compare the different countries and different regions and uh, see what happened and i think uh, we'll have a better view in 10 years or 20 years from now but but i think uh, i can point out some some things that stand out and uh I'm sure the listeners know about Sweden. How uh, we didn't really shut down in the same way as many, almost all the other countries. We we kept the kindergartens open. Uh, we uh, the parks were always open for people to walk uh, walk around. Um, but but restaurants, concerts, uh, all, all of the, those things uh, didn't shut down. But they switched to uh, groups of uh, eight then four, then up to 20, then, then down again, and 50 at one point last summer, and then down again. Uh, so the, there was um, Folkhälsomyndigheten, which is the, the group of people uh, that are in charge of uh, giving directions in Sweden. They, they're not only concerned about uh, uh, the viral pandemic, but also about health in general. So I think that, that gave Sweden a, a unique way of tackling uh, the, the pandemic and the their their issue was to always follow the science um, but um, but yeah so so masks we didn't need to wear masks people were allowed to of course if, if they wanted to and it wasn't until uh, when societies were the society was opening up again that it was uh, demanded for people to to use on uh, public transport so it was uh, i remember <laughs> reacting back in march uh, 2020 then uh, i was reading twitter reading on um, how how to deal with the, like really scary pandemics and uh, in terms of uh, getting food and being able to be off grid for for a month and then sweden was like oh just um, yeah just uh, be careful don't be too close to other people if you feel the least sick stay at home and uh, and that was it. And I was like, "Oh, okay, shit." We have to think for ourselves. <laughs> when I compared to other countries that uh, really shut down, and uh, for example, my dad lives in Argentina, and they were told to stay at home. and And he's uh, he loves to read and and watch documentaries, so he was in a way <laughs> happy. But but yeah, it was really hard uh, as people stayed at home for for such a long time over there. So Sweden, yeah, it really stands out. I think uh, there were they acknowledged that the they did some things that were uh, wrong or, or, yeah, mistakes basically, and it was uh, letting the virus into uh, the elderly homes. It killed a lot of people, and um, and then also among the the uh, lower social economic yes, uh, groups, there was a lot of uh, Somalis people from Iraq that were overrepresented in in the deaths. So, yeah, and that was acknowledged pretty early. So. So there wasn't that much of a, what do you say, a prou- proudness of the way we did things. Was, they were they were really trying to
1: be on top of it. And... I think one of the ways in which this has been unprecedented for a lot of us in a lot of our lifetimes is that since it is an unknown, we're not really used to a piece of science that's, uh, you know, so in our face 24-7 that that is constantly changing or that, that our understanding of it is, is constantly changing in real time. And that's one of the things I think that's been difficult for people to adjust to. You know, here early on, we were told that not to wear masks, that masks were worthless. And then the guidance on that changed. And I don't think that people are used to adjusting.
0: Yeah, yeah. My, my sense uh, was that uh, since uh, China was... <laughs> manufacturing these masks it was sort of like a pragmatic step to tell people to yeah don't don't buy the masks uh, they're, they're not really working that well it's better to be two meters away from each other <laughs> but then of course uh, more and more countries were manufacturing masks and then <laughs> the whole world started using them and uh, yeah i see it as a as a sad part of uh, the world not being um, prepared and not being able to collaborate better uh, there were uh, situations in europe that were pretty sad about the uh, trucks uh, coming with what do you call it ppe uh, equipment and being stopped in one country instead of letting them pass to the next country so so yeah a lot of egoism going on
1: egoism in politics certainly as you said uh, you know, China being a part of this, um, politics were a big part of our reaction here, which, you know, unfortunately, certainly in the States and, and I think just globally at this point, I think politics is, politics is so polarized now that it's almost impossible to imagine navigating a big global problem like this without politics being front and center.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tragic and, um, and uh at the same time i can't help but feeling there's some um, I, I don't really need to watch reality series or 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 fiction <laughs> the reality is uh, is, inter- is so interesting as it is and uh i was thinking about the sort of comparing us and sweden and in how uh, we in sweden we also have problems with the the anti vax movement and and we have our sort of health gurus that that are uh, very certain about their how they look and, and on vaccines and on the pandemic. Yeah, it's just uh, mind-boggling many times, and uh, and it is very polarized. So so it's not it's not only a U.S. thing, even though it's uh, it's a bigger issue over there.
1: I know you're somebody who, like a lot of us, has a lot of concerns about climate change. It's something that you that you talk about quite a bit, and and I you know I know it's something that you discuss it a bit on social media. I I was thinking about the global response to the pandemic, the global response to an issue that is just so present and in front of our faces and how it probably doesn't bode well for perhaps our ability to address something as huge, but uh, in a lot of ways abstract as climate change.
0: Yeah, I think my, um, so I have have optimism (laughs) within me. I think the pandemic showed that uh, people will have to, you know, be able to follow guidance and they have to be able to, to adapt to new information. Uh, and many times they have to think for themselves, like, should I meet that person? Is that one uh, someone who met other people? The, uh, am I actually feeling a fever or, or is this uh, okay? And, and uh, I think global warming is slightly different. I, I think if we rely on everyone to change their, their way of living uh, then I think we're doomed, but if we if we continue doing uh, innovations in green technology, then we we probably will get to a point where we we'll be thinking about other things while being green and uh, so so i'm 'm I'm, on twitter where where i 'm vocal about these topics uh, i I have the Three hashtags: <laughs> secular humanism as, as like topics that I'm interested in. Secular humanism, e- effective altruism, and eco modernism. And uh, I think eco modernism has a great framework for thinking about uh, the issue of uh, global warming and and uh, but, all, but all environmental issues. Uh, then where uh, so eco modernists are, are aware that we're creating problems, but uh, if we can, for example, live in dense denser cities we might have a lower impact uh, so also technologies that use less land are are good <laughs> yeah and there's a list of things that, that i sort of uh, i feel calm when i read people that look at the climate crisis as a engineering problem uh, both the techno technological and and social
1: what is effective altruism just sort of is that uh, relying on people to do things for the betterment of society?
0: Yeah, so it's uh, um, the way to talk about effective altruism is uh, is uh, asking the question, how can I, I do the most good with the resources I have, with uh, time or, or money? And uh, maybe as a student, which career should I pursue to to tackle one of the many areas where we can... Affect uh, human flourishing. So yeah, it's a movement that that sort of started uh, around Oxford with uh, young students uh, and researchers, but that, that it was based on uh, thoughts and and uh, articles and, and I think a book also by Peter Singer, the philosopher. And uh, Peter Singer himself has been very involved in global health and uh, and basically starting up this uh, the life you can save. Um, website where you can uh, look at the most effective charities so basically if you want to do a lot of good with uh, some money you can you can shop around and see which uh, charities are doing having the biggest bang for the buck in terms of for each dollar spent see how many quality life years you're adding to someone's life but but uh, I could talk even more uh, <laughs> uh, and mention that um, it's there are many ways to think about effective altruism. Um, so if you think about uh, uh, future generations or even current generations, then uh, issues like pandemic or artificial AI become very uh, important too. So uh, within those circles, I, I was uh, listening to many things online about pandemics before the pandemic hit, which was uh, one of the inspirations to write the, the song Visions on the album.
1: I, I like the way you put it to paraphrase you doing the most you can with the resources that you have. Now, obviously you understand that you have this social media platform and visiting your, your Twitter page, for example, you know, in spite of the fact that you've got this new music coming out and that you're going on tour, you're largely using it as a platform to discuss, again, things like climate change and what's going on in, in Afghanistan right now. Beyond that though, when you talk about doing what you can with the resources you, you have, and and I guess to extend that to the, the platform that you have, what's your sense of how, if at all, you can use your music as a way to express this sentiment?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a multifaceted uh, <laughs> uh, question in a way because I, so I, on one hand, uh, the way I think about my artistry is. Uh, I make music, and some people find it uh, relaxing and soothing. And then I feel my job is done. It's uh, uh, I, if I help someone lower their their heartbeat and uh, be able to sleep better, I'm I'm super happy. <laughs> if they sleep on my show, that's also fun, but uh, maybe less fun. <laughs> it's happened too many times. But uh, uh, yeah, so so that's maybe one part the the aesthetic side. Um, the comforting uh, side of uh, some of the songs uh, that might help people through uh, difficult periods, uh, maybe relationship problems or a death in the family, or or just uh, wanting to have a calm music while they study. Um, and so that would be the sounds. Um, and then apart from the sounds, um, I've been experimenting with what I'm conveying with. The words in the in the lyrics and uh and that's a sort of like a parallel project that i've had since my second album back in 2007 when i um, uh, try to look up from my internal feelings my inner demons and my relationship problems and and try to find other topics and that's when i thought it was fun to to uh, talk a bit on on religion on worldviews that are clashing on um, so so I mentioned how I was uh, inspired by uh, Richard Dawkins for example and uh, and that part of me has escalated and uh, and uh, so if, if if I try to answer your question about effective altruism and my music there's a, there's an ambition at least for for me from my side that I'm writing songs that change the world for the better but it's not uh, as um, well researched <laughs> as uh, as uh you know giving thousand dollars to against malaria foundation <laughs> so so that would need a, a a very i think that would be a, a fun project to to try to figure out how information travels through uh, through our brains and get processed in our brains and how there's uh just like viruses, uh, are there uh, is there information that uh, has a positive impact, and a neutral, or a negative? Like in not only a three point scale, but maybe a hundred point scale, uh, and that's probably a, a, an area that you will never get perfect answers. But maybe that that could be a fun fun thing to try to answer, and then maybe you can see the effect on, on, of um, I don't know uh, white supremacist oi uh, oi. <laughs> Punk, compared to one of my songs, and see which one has better effect on the well-being <laughs> of, of humans.
1: I know that you, at least to some degree, come from a hardcore background, so you you, you made that musically. You made quite a sonic transition yourself.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so switching topics in a way, like uh, yeah, um, I started playing bass uh, in a uh, punk band. It was basically a summer when I was. 13 turning 14 that uh me and my friends all of us got into music and, and yeah it was uh misfits black flag uh dead kennedys on one hand and on the other i, I was learning my acoustic guitar playing beatles bossa nova uh sirio rodriguez uh, and then later started to learn classical guitar but yeah i had this um, you know punk and hardcore side for, for many years uh and then was, I got invited to a couple of other bands that were more into uh, emo, emo rock, or, or indie rock.
1: Do you get a sense of what that did for your own psychology or, or your own, I guess, mood?
0: Yeah, I think it was uh, good, good in many ways to to be uh, in bands, hanging out with my friends, uh, getting some sort of uh, ventilation of uh, <laughs> of. Uh, frustrated emotions and uh, but but i'm not sure if you if i'm trying to think about this idea of uh, trying to see if things are positive or negative or neutral uh, i think i could have exchanged the hardcore music with uh skating and just hanging out and skating so so it's uh, yeah i think uh, there were many positive sides to to
1: that particularly when you're a a teenager or adolescent and or young adult, there is a certain amount of just energy. I think that, that yeah. you need an outlet for that you need to 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 burn off.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, in in my case, it was good to have interests because. Um, yeah, I also had friends that, that um, I mean, one of the things they did was to steal cars and uh, and do graffiti where they shouldn't or or couldn't uh so uh, so yeah uh, there there is this period in in life where where depending on where you live it's easy to fall into sort of bad habits <laughs> with drugs too like i had many friends that i mean i i, I was drinking uh, i tried the uh, the gas that you use in lighters uh, oh, once or twice puffing yeah. puffing Pro- Huffing. Was, huffing, huffing. yeah yeah i did that once or twice but but i had some friends that got stuck with it and they yeah uh, that wasn't good for their brains so so yeah no just trying to mention how uh, having hobbies and interests and and then just uh having friends that that lead you towards good things instead of bad things (laughs) that that might be more important than the actual things that you're doing
1: what's your sense of the role that for you personally that music has played in dealing with the events of the past year and a half
0: so so this uh Past year and a half, it's been uh, mostly about hanging out with my daughter. Uh, uh, I mean, she she was able to go to kindergarten, but uh, whenever she she was slightly sick, uh, she was with me, and uh, so so yeah, there wasn't that much time for music. We we went to to dance classes uh, for a while, um, and uh, and for me, music was having. A couple of playlists to put me in good mood, or sleepy mood, or or happy mood, uh, or running mood. So, so um, I didn't discover that many new songs, but but uh, but I had my I used my playlists for for different functions, and and of course uh, I was finishing up my album. So, so uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I, I had two or three songs that I that were I have good good versions, but I suddenly had lots of time to to uh, polish them so i so i spent so that that was actually a bonus in a way because uh usually uh there's a deadline and
1: then the album has to come out it really varies from artist to artist but uh, i find that a lot of people you know musicians writers Really value deadlines. Really value having this sort of force externality that's making them get something out in time. That's making them. That's making them finish something that they might otherwise work on forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I had problems with procrastination for forever, and uh, yeah, deadlines are good, and uh, realistic deadlines are, are even better.
1: You were able to take extra time on this, and and you feel like the the amount of time that it afforded you. Ultimately, made the songs better.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was uh, swing, which is the, the newest release. Uh, I had a version of that song in Swedish, that wasn't as good. I feel um, visions. I had a couple of different versions, and I I was able to polish that song a bit more. And then Schumma, the the Swedish song, uh, was also had versions that weren't as good. I feel so. So yeah, the. A couple of months within the pandemic uh, made a better album, I feel.
1: How have you traditionally approached language and and approached the decision of what language to write and sing a song in?
0: Yeah, it's been uh, since I was a teenager, even though I I had the influence of Silvio Rodriguez and Mercedes Sosa and uh, Latin American artists. I almost immediately started writing in English and that was probably just because my my friends were doing it uh, it was sort of what you did uh, uh, i didn't reflect too much uh, on it just that uh, whenever i thought about writing in swedish it was like corny or silly or too direct and spanish in a way felt similar it was there was not so, so with english there was this uh, sense of uh, mystery or enigma which uh, was good <laughs> But then, of course, with the decades, uh, I felt more and more that maybe I should try to write in Swedish or spanish and uh, And with the last album, I, I had demos that were had a couple, a couple of sentences each but um, but I got stuck, and then I switched to English to see if that worked better and and it did, so maybe partly because I was lazy, i didn 't write then but but now now, when I tried it it just worked and um, and I'm happy for it. I feel like uh, showing more of my true colors. I'm showing different styles within the same album, uh, both uh, heavy and and moody, and and but also very light. Uh, and then also with with the lyrics, I'm I'm using both my mother tongues plus English. And uh, so so yeah, I feel more more comfortable with this actually. Um,
1: I think I, I, you can correct me if this is not at all a good analogy. As somebody who both is bad at other languages and really is also very bad at playing music myself. But the closest analogy I can think of in terms of writing something in one language versus another is composing a song on a different instrument, you know, is, is composing something on piano versus composing on something on guitar. Do do you feel that the language that you choose to write in has as profound an impact on the final product? Um,
0: I I think uh, it has an impact. But more in terms of, um, uh, so if you are walking in a forest and you don't really have a specific direction where to go, you just uh, start walking and you take, oh, let's take this uh, uh, this way or or that way, and then all of a sudden you end up by a lake or by a mountain. Or <laughs> uh, it's same with the with the lyrics because usually I start with with the music and a melody, and then I start putting words. And, um, so maybe it's like, depending on which words I start using, then I'm trying to find words that rhyme. And then all of a sudden there starts to be a meaning and I need to add stuff that, that fits together with the first stuff. And, and, uh, that leads me to a certain point. So it's not that I set out to, to write about a certain topic and then, and then I choose the words. It's more, uh, I see where, where they lead me. So, so in that sense, uh, because of the the words that rhyme in different languages i might end up in different places
1: it's the rhyme scheme but also languages tend to have different meters yeah. i assume that has a big impact on the way it's sung as well
0: yeah yeah so uh, so um uh, and that probably comes from a intuitive side i haven't uh, <laughs> thought about it too much and uh, that's uh, so so, uh, yeah, it would be fun to hear a linguist <laughs> talk about this.
1: I had read, too, I think in, in one of the interviews that you did around this, that, that your daughter learning to speak Spanish was a, if not a big part, at least sort of played a role in the decision to write some of these in Spanish.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was partly me talking to her in Spanish. So I, even though I speak Spanish with my family, we don't talk that often. So talking to her every day, I think, uh, made something with my the the Spanish uh, side of my brain (laughs) Um, loosened up uh, a bit, and uh, but then I think uh, more about becoming a dad and thinking about my who I want to be as a person and and also as an artist. I I felt like uh, I felt uh, it was kind of silly to only sing in English, so so I had internal pressure to 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 be a bit more varied.
1: I don't know if you um you know are are familiar at all or I assume you are just based on this conversation with you and you talking about being interested in things like consciousness but in Zen Buddhism there's this idea of beginner's mind. That's the first thing I thought about when you were discussing this idea of your of your young daughter learning this language in that I think it perhaps gives you a perspective of on this language that you've been speaking your entire life.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, uh, this. um, Yeah, exactly. uh, And not only language, but uh, basically everything. (laughs) You start to see everything, everything you do, everything around you with fresh eyes. Uh, So, so that, I think uh, that also, affected the type of topics I, I chose for the, for the different songs.
1: Has that impacted the, the music itself as well?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, the playfulness, uh, I'm sure it would have, I, I think I would have done a different album if it wasn't for, for my daughter and, and, uh, just being around her and, and playing and, and humming and, and, uh, and being silly. A line
1: that you have to walk as an artist and as somebody who is thoughtful about society and is concerned with some of these larger topics and does want to address them to a certain degree in your music is th- there's a line that you have to walk between being socially conscious and also being mindful of the fact that a lot of people use music as escapism. Is that a hard line to walk? Yeah, uh,
0: I think it is if you want both. <laughs> At the same time, and uh, so in in many ways, I'm okay with the with people that don't like the music and switch it off and switch to another artist, <laughs> because it is uh, I think it is hard to to uh, combine uh, both aims within a same song or same album without losing some of your audience.
1: You mentioned the, this idea of playfulness, and, and I think that yeah. that is a way of pulling people back in.
0: Oh, yeah. So I can talk about how I, uh, I mean, I, I like thinking about memes and meme complexes. So, uh, so i see uh, an album as a collection of memes. And uh, yeah, I have some honey, I have some salt, I have some, uh, <laughs> some bitterness. Uh, and uh, so, so, yeah, a song like Swing will probably lead me to a bigger audience than usual. Uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm having songs that might rub people the wrong way, and uh, so yeah, it's um, uh, it's always been fun to to try to not only do music that sounds good or makes uh, has good grooves, but but also is interesting art in a way. And uh, whenever I go to an art gallery or modern arts museum, for me, the most interesting art is where where you have this tension between. Stuff you like and stuff that uh, rubs you the wrong way <laughs> for some reason, and then uh almost like uh, humor can can be a, can be a attention and release and uh, hopefully a debugging of your system. <laughs>